So nice to see you. I've taken my glasses off now, so you're all a bit of a haze, but that's fine. You're looking gorgeous this morning, even with your masks. Um, and uh, we, I want to just, uh, I'm so glad to be going into Mark's gospel. Um, Mark's gospel has, in the last um, couple of years, been a real encouragement to me, uh, a real challenge to me, and uh, as I've rediscovered it. Um, a couple of years ago, I was, I was in Italy for uh, a mission trip, and um, a group of young people did the thing called the Mark drama. I don't know if you've seen that. Maybe even had it here. They, they basically memorized Mark's gospel, and then they did a performance just using the text from Mark's gospel. And um, it, it was in a hotel, and the, the room was full. There must have been 200 people there, uh, people who were, who were not from uh, evangelical backgrounds, and because just hearing Mark's gospel. And it, but it was so powerful to, to hear the words and present it in such a that way. And as I've been kind of digging deep with Mark's gospel, it really, you're so aware that he has this punchy style, that he doesn't use a lot of and and then and so on. He, he just, it's just one thing after another. It's like a telegraph machine. And um, he, he did this for a very particular reason, because uh, when he wrote his gospel, it was probably one, if not the first, one of the first gospels to be written. And he did it in that style so that people around the empire could memorize it. And so memorizing Mark's gospel was what the early church did. And it actually went viral, if you like, as people uh, just took a little while, memorized the gospel, and then they had the stories and the, and the standings of Jesus right there with them in their heads, wherever they were. And Mark's message is predicated on, the, on an assumption. And the assumption is that God speaks, that God speaks, that he didn't just set the world off on its course and then stand back, that he isn't an impersonal force or merely a, a social construct. Uh, that the personal creator and sustainer of the universe, when he came to the world, came as the word, communication, speaking, and that he speaks through the Bible today as the Holy Spirit animates his words. Now, these are the baseline assumptions that Mark has when he writes his gospel. And if you don't share these assumptions, and if you don't agree with them or don't accept them, then you're not going to get any benefit from this. You're not going to receive any support from these words. But if you believe and understand that God speaks, and that he's speaking right now, and he's speaking through his word, if you can get your head around that, then that's wonderful. Because it means that life has meaning. It means that life has a purpose. It means that all of this, and whatever it is you're going through, all of that is going somewhere. It has some kind of meaning behind it. Life suddenly becomes worth living. And not only does God speak through his word, but when he speaks, he demands a response. His speaking assumes a response. Hebrews 4 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before him, before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He says the, the word of God is like a scalpel. It cuts in. Uh, if you think about it, I don't know if you have the PowerPoint um, from home. Hey, there we go. Next one. Next one. 
Uh, there we go. So the Word of God, when it comes into a life, it, it operates on different levels, and we function on different levels. We function on one level, we are what we say and what we do and what we look like, the superficial external level. On another level, we have our, our attitudes and we have our, our, the, way we, the way we view the world, our outlook on life, our personality, if you like. But then deep down, we have the world of the spirits, what here they call the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And when the Word of God speaks, He comes and He challenges us, not only in our behavior, not only in the way we think about things, but in who we are in the very fundamental core of our being. The Word of God speaks. The Word of God speaks. And it is in this context that Jesus is presenting a parable. It is in this context that he speaks to the people. Let's read from chapter four, verse one again. And again, he began to teach by the sea and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat, it, sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching. He's in a boat by the sea, Capernaum, around there, and the, obviously the water creates a natural sounding board. I don't know if you've been to, to somewhere in the, in, the, in the morning when the sea is calm, the lake is calm, you can see someone out, you know, maybe 100 yards, 200 yards, and they're on a rowboat or something, you can hear the, the smack, can't you, of the, of the oar smacking the water. And it's because the water is carrying the sound. Of course, before PA, we had the delights of PA, that that's how people would communicate. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's sitting in a boat, or standing in a boat, talking, and the water is, uh, is acting as a sounding board. And the word parable just means, para means alongside. It just means, uh, it's, it's comparison. So when he, when he talks about par parables, he's saying, this is, this is compared to that. So, listen to the parable. Behold, verse three, behold, a sower went out to sea, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But the other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up and increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, he who has ears, let him hear. Kaboom. My wife listens to Gardner's Question Time. Um, I, I, I don't get it, but she, she really seems to enjoy it. And people call up and they ask these Gardner's questions. That's why it's called Gardner Question Time, I guess. And they sit there and they talk about cultivation and stuff. I mean, this is, this is the depth of knowledge that I have. I know it's called Gardner's Question Time, and I hear it in the background when I'm doing something more useful. <laughs> it's okay, she won't, she won't hear me. <laughs> so, so he's talking about sowing a seed, and he's telling this story. Now, if you're sitting on the side of, and you hear this story, you think, wow, Gardner's Question Time is early today. I mean, what's that got to do with anything? Because all he says is that him who has ears, hear. And then he says to the guy in the boat, okay, roll up, we're finishing now. And you can imagine that a lot of those people will be sitting there listening. Okay, what was that? And um, I was 
uh, I was in Israel actually in, in a few years ago with my father. Uh, my, my own church gets really fed up and be saying when I was in Israel, but as you haven't heard it, so I'm going to say when I was in Israel. Uh, the, the, the very best part of that trip was we went to Capernaum, Capernaum, and um, in Capernaum, I don't know if you've got the slide next one here, that's the ones with the pictures on. Uh, we, if you go to Capernaum, uh, where Jesus spent a lot of time there, you see that the mixing bowls and all the things they had was made out of volcanic stone, so it wouldn't, so the stone wouldn't degrade and fall into the food. And that's, and actually the whole area around there is black volcanic stone. And if you hop in your car and you just go a mile or two up the road, you go up into the hill where the Sermon on the Mount was, and we actually stopped, because I knew I'd be preaching on the, uh, <laughs> the parable of the sower at some time, so I got my camera out and I took a picture of the field. And the field there is like this really, really red, dark red, really productive ground. And even now, it has different sections. It has the path, which is just trodden down. It has the weeds on the side. And some areas it has the stones which are below the surface. Now, but, but at the center of the field, it has this big area that is, just, is cultivated and ready to go and where it would produce a lot of food. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful soil. So in verse 13, he says to them, do you understand this parable? And if you don't understand it, how will you understand all the parables? And Jesus says to him, the parable of the sower is God's Word 101. It is the foundational understanding of what happens when God's Word goes out into the world. So verse 14, he says, we have the path. The sower sows the Word, and the ones that by the wayside where the Word is sown. And when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the Word that was sown in their hearts. So now with his disciples, he's drawing the, drawing the parallel between the story and what happens when God's word goes out. And he says, some people are like a path. They're like this area that is hard. And the word goes out, and it, it lands there, but it is immediately eaten up by the birds, he says, Satan, who blinds their hearts and blinds their minds to the word of God. He says, there are some people, when they receive the word of God, when you tell them about Jesus, they look at you like you're crazy. What is this nonsense? Are you kidding? What is this craziness? And their hearts are hard and they cannot receive the word of God. And he says, well, some are like the rocky soil. These likewise are the ones sown on the stony ground, who when they hear the word immediately receive with gladness. But they have no root in themselves and endure only for a short time. And afterwards, when trouble or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. They said people's hearts are like a stony ground. And stony ground has stones on the, super, on, the, on, the, on the top, then it has earth, but not very deep earth, because there are stones underneath as well. And when God speaks, they hear God's word, and they say, this is amazing. God loves me. God is here. God is present. He's involved in the world. I can't believe this. And they receive the news with joy. But what happens? There's no repentance. There's no asking God to forgive them. There's no change of heart. And so when people say to them, what are you doing listening to the word of God? They back off because the word of God is not important enough for them to um, risk social exclusion. So they back off from the word of God. And finally he says, there's some thorny soil. Now there, there are those who are sown among the thorns. 
and they are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of, the word of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things, enters in and chokes the world, word, and it becomes unfruitful. And these are people who hear God speaking, and they say, okay, this is brilliant. And they respond to it, and they say, I want to, I want to hear more of this. And they're willing to come along and listen. But what often happens is that the important things take over. Homes, families, jobs, career, pleasure, hobbies, weekends away. And they say to you, I love to hear the word of God. I love to come and receive the word of God, but only if I have time when I'm not too busy with all of these important things. And the cares of this world rob them of the, the energy that is needed to take God's word and to work it into your heart. But finally, he says, as a fruitful soil, these are the ones who, the, who sown on good ground, who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and some 100. He says, there are hearts that are like good soil, and the plow has been through it, and the rains have come, and it's really, really open and fertile and ready. And the sower sows the seed. And in that good soil, it grows 30 times for every seed, 60 times for every seed, even 100 times for every seed. People receive God's word, and they grasp the relationship between them and God's word. And they understand that God's word is speaking to them deep in their lives. And they wrestle with it, and they work it. They work it deep into their lives. And they allow the Holy Spirit to take residence in their lives. And their personality starts to change and they start to desire and do different things. That they, their time and money priorities become different. They embrace the discipline of listening to Jesus, listening to his word. They find joy in worship. Uh, they see things differently. They see things from God's perspective. They have a mindset that understands that he is the one who is in charge of this world, not them. They're happy to make tough choices, and, and even with their money and with their time. And if they have families, they teach their children and they either physical and spiritual children, and they raise up people who will also love the word of God. And over the arc of 100 years, or maybe 150 or 200 years, um, that decision by them bears 100 times fruit. It bears fruit up to 100 times. My own, in my own family, Neither of my grandparents uh, knew Jesus, grew up in homes that knew Jesus. Well, my grandparents, my, on my father's side. And um, on my father's side, neither my grandmother or my grandfather knew the Lord Jesus. But then in 1933, during the Great Depression, they found a church in Pontiac, Michigan, where they were preaching the Word of God. And they gave their lives to Jesus. And what happened? Well, it changed their lives. My grandfather, they raised a son, my father, and he raised myself, my sister, and now we've raised our own children who are now adults. And from the decision of Russell and Edwina in 1933, there are now physically this morning 20 people, 20 people who love Jesus. I was recently at a funeral for a good friend of mine, John, and um, he was in the mid-80s. And Steve, his son, was, who's a pastor of a big church in Cardiff, was preaching at his father's funeral. I don't know how he did it. And next to me was sat a guy 
and he stopped in a moment and he, he, he called that, he, called, he, he indicated that man. And he said, in 1954, you invited my father to church. And because you invited my father to church, my father became a Christian. And because he became a Christian, I became a Christian. And my children are now Christians. He says, this, this room is full of people who are here because you invited my father to church. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing what the word of God can do? Very easily a hundred times. Very easy a hundred times. So what's this parable teaching us? What does it have to say to us? Well, in the middle we have this acid test. In verse 10, when, he's, when he was alone with them, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may, they may, they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they turn and their sins be forgiven them. He says, this parable is the paradigm. This parable is the explanation of all parables. And the story is being revealed. And to those inside, the truth is revealed. But to those outside, hearing the story indicts them in the presence of God. They, are, they become guilty by hearing the story and not responding. And he takes a quote uh, from 750 years before, where the call of Isaiah, and he says, what God said to Isaiah then is true now. Seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they turn and their sins be forgiven to them. He says, you who are in the kingdom, you are a kingdom within a kingdom, and you receive God's word, and you take it, and you work it, and you think about it, and it changes you, and it changes your life, and it changes your families, and it moves out from you, and you bear fruit. But to those who receive it and who do not respond to it, it hardens them. And he could have talked about Pharaoh, where Pharaoh hardened his heart against Moses, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart even more. And the word of God hardens hearts as much as it opens hearts. The word of God goes in and makes people even more resistant, or it makes them even more open. Hearing God's word and not responding is not a victimless crime. It has massive outcomes, because it makes it harder for you to hear and respond in the future, and it establishes your guilt in the sight of God. I don't know, I think they've changed it now, but when you, fly to, when you used to fly to the United States, they'd give you a green form. And the form was hilarious. It was, I, I think I've got it on the screen here somewhere. Yeah, there it is. Um, let me just read you a couple of questions they asked you. Have you ever been arrested or convicted for an offense or a crime involving moral turpitude? Who knows? Or a violation related to controlled substance? Or have you been arrested or convicted for two or more offenses for which the aggregate sentence to confinement was five years or more? Or have you been a controlled substance trafficker? Or are you seeking entry to engage in criminal or immoral activities? Answer yes or no. C, have you ever been, or are you now involved in espionage or sabotage? 
or in terrorist activities or in genocide? Or between 1933 and 1945, were you involved in any way at all in the persecution associated with Nazi Germany or its allies? Answer yes or no. What is that? I always used to sit there laughing on the plane. What is that about? But of course, someone explained it to me. If you are one of those people and you put no, you've already committed a federal offense in, uh, they put you in prison for two years for that. So they've already got evidence on you, you see? So if it turns out that you are a controlled substance trafficker or you were involved in Nazi atrocities, then they've already got you banged to rights. They can put you in prison. And this is the word of God. The word of God is going out this morning and it is going to hearts which are receiving it and saying yes, but it's also going to hearts that are saying, not now, I'm too busy. Or, no, I don't think so because my friend won't like it. Or, this is nonsense. And to those who have hearts which are open to the Word of God, the Word of God builds them up and transforms them and changes them. But to those who resist the Word of God, the Word of God indicts them. John MacArthur puts it this way, the parables are designed to reveal and conceal. They are a work of grace to make clear to the believer spiritual truth. And they are a work of judgment to obscure truth from a non-believer. The popular image of Jesus is that Jesus was a rather benign, somewhat simplistic spiritual teacher, sort of unloading his lessons on everybody to learn. That's not true. When Jesus told a parable on the, other, on, on the one hand to those who believed it, it was a revelation of grace to make spiritual truth clear. On the other hand, to those who did not believe, it was an act of judgment to hide the truth from them. So why is that important? Well, because the person who spoke to Isaiah in the temple two and a half thousand years ago, the person who sat in the boat and talked on the beach, the person who explained the parables to his disciples, the person who gave his life and suffered and died and was raised again, the person who inspired Mark to write his gospel is the same person who is here this morning speaking to me and speaking to you, Jesus. And that's got nothing to do with the preacher. That's just us opening up God's word and reading it. And his word is going out to us this morning. So who are we in this story? Well, it is interesting. Why is it called the parable of the sower, not the soils? Well, let's think about the sower. The sower is not in his front room, looking out of his window, seeing a field not producing crop. The sower waits till it rains, he goes and plows his field, then he sows the seed, and then he weeds it, and then he watches, and then he, he puts water on the field, and then he harvests it. The sower is active. The sower is working out his beliefs. He knows that some parts of the field will be unfruitful, but he knows that the parts that are fruitful will be crazy wonderful unfruitful. And he sows the seed in hearts and minds. We are the sower. You are the sower. I am the sower. Don't you think that COVID has, we have no idea what COVID's gonna have outcomes in our society. We know some of them, but we don't know many. But I think one outcome of COVID has been to make people extremely inward looking, 
extremely self-focused, just looking in on themselves all the time. I certainly have found that for me. And I think that's happening in many churches. Churches have become obsessed with looking in on themselves rather than looking out. And I think that what God's word is saying to us this morning is that we are the sower and our job is to sow, to look out, to look out and see the fields and to get out there and sow and then to reap. To ask ourselves the question, how can we bring this good news of God's word to everybody who wants to hear it? How can we be a church that is focused not on making life comfortable for the sowers, but on sowing the seed? That's what God's been saying to me about it. Oh, frankly, I'm confused. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Well, as I thought about it, I thought, well, we must start by you know, what Jesus says in John 4. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the fields and say, Lord, by the way, send me. Be like Isaiah. Say, here I am, Lord, send me. Ask God to send us. Ask God to make us sowers. But maybe even this morning you've been listening to this message and actually your heart is hard. You like the path. You're sitting there deconstructing Jesus all day long. You're sitting there passing judgment on God. Oh, God was, that was bad of God to do that, or that was bad of Jesus to do that, or that was bad, that thing in the Old Testament. And you're passing judgment on God. Do you have the moral qualities to do that? You know, maybe your heart's like rocky soil. Oh, you, you just spend all your time thinking about what other people care about. And all you really care about is their good opinion, even though that's, it's futile. Or maybe you're like the, like the thorny soil. You know, you're just, just too busy. Oh, too busy we read the Bible. Too busy doing what? What's so important that you can't receive God's word into your heart? Jesus says in John 12, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in the world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus said, I'm like the grain, and I'm gonna be buried in the ground, and I'm gonna die, but my death will bring much fruit. And this morning, when the word of God goes into a heart which is open, actually the response is for us to say, I die now, so that good fruit can be born in my life, so that I can receive him. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, or if you've been here all your life, but you've never trusted him, trust in him this morning. Call on him, give your life to him. Ask him to take charge. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus sat there and explained this to 12 uneducated men. We thank you, Lord God, that each one of those people that were heard him and responded, they bore an incredible amount of fruit. Lord, here we are, send us. May your word be buried in our hearts. May your word bring life through us. 
Here we are, Lord. Send us. Amen.